And we are back, unbelievably, with Cinema Cemetery. I'm Dan. And I'm Kate. And I'm Teresa. Teresa's joining us. She is... The enthusiasm, my goodness, it's overflowing. (laughs) So excited that we are finally back at it, that she has joined us for this double episode Uh, Episode 73 and 74, we're looking at the 2000s, and additionally, it's a Russell Crowe kind of day. A Russell Crowe double feature. Yeah, double feature, double header. This this was peak Russell Crowe, right? Like, this this was the height of his stardom. Would you you agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because this happened, and then... In my mind, I didn't see Russell Crowe again until he showed up literally in Pittsburgh to film three days later, although I'm sure he was doing other things. But it was this <laughs> and then nothingness until he was running through the streets of Pittsburgh. I did not mind three days later, except for the fact that they leave from, I believe they're heading towards the airport, but we can tell oh, they're driving yes. towards the zoo. And yeah. those are in separate directions. Yeah. And they're they Didn't they're supposed us. to be in Oakland, but they like run out onto the street of downtown, and that isn't you can't run out of Presby Hospital onto the streets of downtown. That's not the same. Now a double feature with a, an actor winning, well, not necessarily winning, but a, a movie winning best picture back to back with the same leading actor. Only this happened a couple times. We saw it back in the '30s with Clark Gable. Right, we had it happen. Oh, one remember night. Clark Gable. He was so dreamy. Mutiny on the bootney. And uh, it happened one night, back to back, 34 and 35. We had a Meryl Streep, right, Uh, back to back. We had her in The Deer Hunter, and we had her in Kramer versus Kramer. But I don't know if we want to count that. She was sort of a secondary player. Uh, A minor character. Yeah, secondary character in both. So we don't do that. But this, we're back at it. And I think... He's the leading dude, yeah. I think this is the last one until we get to the the Michael Keaton duology in uh, 1415. With oh, yeah. Birdman and Spotlight. And I've seen neither of those, so I'm excited to dip in my my toe into the pool of possibility. Those two brought Dan back to, like, oh, how do I phrase this? He hated the Oscars until those, those movies. No, that's not true. I uh, liked the Oscars <laughs> as a concept, but I have hated... <laughs> as a ev- concept. Since 2003, I have hated every Best Picture winner, aside what from... What happened in 2003? Well, that's the return of the king, but we'll get to there in a couple episodes. But ever since 2003, there's only been uh, two movies I've liked. There, you know, there's a few I've tolerated: Coda, The Departed. Um, but tolerated, but yeah. you liked Coda, like in secret. You couldn't come out and say it, but you recommended it. I I need to come back for the Coda episode because I don't know that Dan is going to be very truthful in his um, depiction of of how he responded to that film. I think he might like, guard some of his. Well, we'll get there. Let's talk about Russell Crowe. <laughs> no, it's one of those movies that's not good the whole time, and then the end is really good, and it tricks you into thinking the whole movie was good. Okay, we'll talk about Coda when we get to Coda. So but, let's talk about 2000 and 2001. So we've got two movies to talk about today. Um, but we it's also, been a while, Kate. We should, we should clarify how we viewed these movies. Yeah, so we saw, right? we, we, we've had a, a we bit of a break. We saw Gladiator in uh, May. Six months ago, five months ago. And then, and then we saw A Beautiful Mind last Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, life kind of got in the way. We've had a lot of changes. Uh, some new businesses starting, some uh, a new... A new uh, Arrival has has shown up, and uh, a, a, a human arrival, a baby, a human baby arrival is here. 
and and all kinds of things. So and that baby is right here next to us, yeah. sleeping away, but still very present. We might need to pause it. <laughs> all right, we've stalled long enough. It's time to get into our two what movies. Do you mean so we'll stalled? talk. I think I think we need to set up the part where my memory might not totally be all there for Gladiator, and I think uh, that that should just be stated, and it's fair. I am happy to provide the synopsis of Gladiator if the two of you feel feel like ill-equipped, um, given the. the I mean, that's fine, but you only get thirty seconds. Only thirty seconds. It's a thirty-second recap. That's that's hmm. the thing, Kate. I don't know. I've listened to this podcast. I feel that the 30-second rule is, is very loosely applied, if, if at all. It's 30-second recap. Test. So which one of you is doing it? Because it's not me. Not me. I'm not Okay, I'll it. go for it. Gladiator okay, is, is an action drama. I'll call it that. And it um, follows the, the, uh, the, the death and aftermath of the death of Emperor Marcus Aurelius of the Roman Empire. So we're talking like, what, second century, third century, second century? Okay, so uh, we begin with a battle. The, the Roman, what am I doing wrong? Okay, okay. All right, let's, let's can we edit this? Um, <laughs> so... So uh, the the Roman legions are in Germania, Germania, and it's like this final battle that will kind of finally bring peace to the Roman Empire um, if they can just defeat this one, you know, uh, the the last standing. Ger- I'm going to. I'm thirty seconds already. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we have this Roman general Maximus. We have this Roman general, Maximus, and he is characterized early on as just a great leader. His men respect him and love him. There's a lot of love, and uh, he leads them to victory. Marcus Aurelius is very pleased with him. They clearly have a strong bond, this emperor and his general. Um, uh, Marcus Aurelius is wondering about his legacy, and he kind of indicates that he would like to return Rome to a republic, and he wants Maximus to... uh, you know, be be a leader in in that transition, and uh, Maximus is just like a, a humble farmer. Really, he's done fighting. He wants to go home to his family and harvest his crops, and uh, and then and then Marcus Aurelius's son shows up, the very cowardly Commodus, and uh, Commodus realizes that his father has no intention of you know handing over power to him, and he you know they have a very heartfelt. It's one of the more heartfelt scenes. Uh, <laughs> I, but there is so much. No, there is so much. All right. So, anyways, Commodus kills his father, and then you know turns his henchmen onto Maximus the general to get him out of the way, so that he can just be emperor and uh, and and maintain power in his family. Well, Marcus Aurelius is dead. Maximus escapes execution. He escapes from Commodus's henchmen. Um, and while he is on the run, his family is also murdered. And then he is taken captive, basically, by a, uh, a guy who, would you say he owns or traffics in, in gladiatorial games and and people he he becomes he becomes you know a slave to to this guy who sells gladiators and um 
Uh, they get back to Rome eventually, and Maximus. I'm really regretting this, guys. I'm sorry. Um, Told you, it's I'm a tell. You can't just jump in. <laughs> yeah, and so Maximus now has to climb the ladder of gladiatorialness <laughs> to gain some fame and get the attention of the emperor, and ultimately lead him on his quest to get revenge for his family. That's it, right? That's the movie. Really, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a revenge. A it's a revenge. To rags to riches. Classic. Uh, or so. Classic. You killed my wife and son so now i must kill you story That's exactly the recap now all of those details classic and we will talk about <laughs> them as we go Can we um directed Can we start over? Can we start over? no this is we just we nope. just do what we do and you just sometimes it's good and sometimes it is what it is you know nothing wrong everything now, that was said directed. was accurate so far it's true. I normally don't remember anyone's names, and I just start with like, so Russell Crowe's wife was murdered, and he was bad. The problem is, um, I actually remember everything she just said. I don't remember anything in the second half, so I'm I'm still. No. Oh, well, I can help you out there. You know, I was just getting warmed up. We'll get, so, <laughs> directed by Ridley Scott, who I did not know was an old British man, just found out. Which now explains the cinematography of this film and why it was so wonky. Because I was watching it and was like, well, should we do like what worked and what didn't or what was confusing? Well, yeah, Kate just found out about Ridley Scott and I can't wait to introduce her to Steven Spielberg after this. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know who else she hasn't heard of. I watched Spielberg. And then in the next movie, she's going to learn about Ronald Howard, who's who's directed many other movies. (laughs) No, that was just the kid the kid from uh, Music Man, right? The Wells Fargo Wagon Kid. That's Ronnie Howard. I'm being funny. Of course, it's Ron Howard. Dan just had a stroke. He just had a stroke. So anyway. <laughs> He's gone. Dan is gone. I did. Yeah. I did so Ridley Scott find... and his color choices, so his cinematography. And by, by color choices, I mean there seemed to be like some. Like like tone, like lighting choice. Like it's. Like filters, sepia filter, yeah, filter. yeah, yeah. But even just the way, like it very. Cl- I kept watching it, being like, "This looks very fake. This looks like bad graphics. This looks very clearly like sci-fi e for being fake, taken as in like Rome. ancient Rome is just CGI stuff. Yeah, like that, yeah. yeah, and and just like the way the lighting and the filters looked and. Even the sets did not seem to be. And as I'm reading through this, it said clearly there were so many anachronisms. Like, I think the first thing on Wikipedia was like, none of the costuming is historically accurate. And I was like, oh, like they got the togas wrong? They got a lot of stuff wrong. And Hmm. if you look at Ridley Scott's filmography, it makes sense that this has a sci-fi type of bend. Now I'm understanding why the film looked like the way it looked. Okay. Interesting. Okay. okay. Well, no, that's not. No, no. <laughs> Dan that, is saying no. <laughs> well, I, I'm saying that that you just made that up, right? Um, he. A what lot did of I this, make up? This is a, this is not reflective of his sci-fi background. He's like not capable of doing anything besides sci-fi. This is more of a reflection on the trends in filmmaking at the time, right? This is this is cgi okay. being the expectation right this is post episode one with the cgi background required and and a lot of the gray washout is a result of uh, use of digital cameras at times and when you do film in digital you end up getting uh, an, an initial uh, grayer tone which explains why a lot of movies look the way they do today and so a you're lot telling of me if steven spielberg filmed it it wouldn't look the way it looked 
Right. Well, there's a lot of post-production that goes into coloring it. So I'm saying we're seeing a lot of that. It, it's it's not that Ridley Scott fell down and tripped and oops made a made a gray sci-fi movie in Rome. He, no, uh, no, that's I not thought what the coloring I'm worked for the grittiness of the story. I mean, we're talking about characters who literally are fighting to the death day in and day out. Um, you know, it begins in a war, so there's a lot of grittiness. Um, so I I don't know. I I, I think those. Um, color choices or filters or digital camera usage, wh- whatever resulted in the end, pro- you know, I think it works. Um, but CGI Rome is a little disconcerting. I'll give you that. Like, I don't know. I've seen the Colosseum up close and it, it, it just wasn't, I don't know. But in terms of story and character, what are what are your thoughts? Like this is based on historical figures, but it's definitely not a historical film. I mean, I thought this this is pre-Game of Thrones. This is Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones came. And if you like Game of Thrones, you'll probably like this story too. Sure. What? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Okay, I'm going to be honest. action the story, sequences were, were definitely... The story was so boring. This movie oh. was so boring. I did not swords? like this movie. It's like Game of Thrones? Like what? And, and medieval things, but I was not pulled Violence. in by this story. Medieval? I thought it went on too long. Too many notes. When this was first appearing, you know, on just commercials, the the trailer was running, it appeared to just be like an action film, fighting, swords, gladiators, right? But then, as I recall, I think I was in high school at the time, right? Yeah. Um, it started to get buzz because it was a story with some heart. There was there was some character to it that you don't get in a lot of you know action films or whatnot, and um, and that's that's what drew me to it when I was a teen because I heard that there was more more to it than just uh, you know blood and gore. I I think this movie is certainly representative of the the we've been talking about ninety schmaltz for a while. Am I too close? Backing away, Kate. There we go. Okay. I'm talking louder than the others. I think it was representative of the 90 schmaltz that we've been seeing combined with the new tech elements that were coming up and definitely a pre-9-11 film. Because even though this is a grand story of revenge, it's really clever and cute, right? They have their little catchphrases. They have their, their things that go in the lunchbox. They've got their mustache twirling villain they've got the swooning girl they've got the helpful friend they've got i'm the, sorry who's the swooning girl what got the, the, the lady. sister this lady Big right lady. sister of the emperor okay i i, I reject that very, descriptor but go on if we're talking she's archetypes here lady. so i'm saying even for this this movie could have been far more serious and dark and with scenes of torture and violence has none of that though you've got the you know, I I am father to a murdered wife and sister <laughs> sister to husband a to of, a murder to a crop of fiery wheat and and you know angry. It has ab- some great lines that just, really caught on for sure. Yeah, but I'm and saying, I will have my vengeance. That, and that's then there's nothing. I remember wrong with that. none of these lines. I do enjoy those sorts of things, but it's an interesting mix, and it's certainly pre 911 y and we're going to see pre-9-11 the next couple movies, and then you're going to see a huge shift in 2004. It's, and, and so it was really interesting to see 
this year because I could tell they were trying to be gritty, but the world wasn't gritty enough for them. And so the lack of grit in the world still was showing through in these quotable quotes that they had to throw into this world and the next and, you know, the Sting song and the end and, the, you know. Sting, okay. I just think about that Fields of Gold at the end when he's walking I think they should be playing. Oh. Yes, the movie begins and ends with that image yes. of, you know, a beautiful um, wheat field and, you know, a person walking through it. You see his hand brushing against the wheat. You know, it, it starts that way and it ends that way because, you know, spoiler alert, Maximus dies in the end and he, he goes to to the very beautiful afterlife where his uh, wife and son are waiting for him. And he has that great shot where the rose petals are underneath him and he's floating. That that was some nice images. Big fan. The the rest of the characters have died as well because this took place a long time ago. So even if he had lived, sadly, he passed away. Okay. Anyway. All right. So- this movie has one of my favorite examples. This was reminded of me. This is a great example of anachronisms that are anachronisms because it it turns out that it would have been very common back then for gladiators to have sponsorships on their shields and their armor. And they inaccurately took that out. Right? My goodness. Because they thought if they had left it in accurately, everyone would have thought it was an anachronism, Mm -hmm. which it wasn't. And so it's a hilarious example about sometimes when something's too realistic, it's unrealistic. Okay. Fun fact. Um, can we just quickly note uh, two actors who are in this film who are not Russell Crowe? That's Richard Harris and Jaimon Hansu. Oh, yeah. I think we, we should note both of them. Okay. Noted. What about well, Jacoby? That Jacoby dude. Derek he shows Jacobi up in other is things. in it as well. Okay. So a lot of supporting characters played by notable actors. Um, Richard Harris, this would have been one of his last films. Yeah. One, no, not one of his last films. Harry Potter was Harry Potter two was his last film. Okay. Harry Potter two was in two thousand two, so this was his third one of, last. Oh, so when I said one of his it was last his pre, films, I think I am correct. Anyway, it was his um, pre-penultimate film. I just want to say I think he gives a very moving performance. You know, he's only in the first twenty minutes or so, uh, but I think he makes a great Marcus Aurelius. I don't know. I I I was just I I feel for this man who's in the twilight of his life. And uh, he's wondering, you know, what's it all been for? What a failure of a father I was, you know. Um, so I thought that was very moving. And then I mentioned Jaimon Hansu because I think he's given some great performances in other things. <laughs> so um, this, I think, was one of his earlier movies. You know, I think he, he first came onto the scene in Amistad. That was Steven Spielberg, right? Okay. Well, anyway, he I is Russell Crowe's buddy, know. a fellow gladiator. Um, that he meets, you know, when he is first, when Maximus is first taken captive and, uh, and he gets the last line of the film. And, and I love that, that final moment of the film where he's, uh, you know, just talking to his, his deceased friend and saying, we'll meet again, but not yet, not yet. He's the guy from the poster for Blood Diamond, which I never saw, but I saw him on the poster. That's what I remember him from. And he was also in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He was also in a wonderful, uh, what is it, Jim Sheridan film, In America. That guy. He was the neighbor in the movie In America, a a lovely family drama. All right. Yeah, so I guess it's time to 
think about uh, do, have we talked about what didn't work? I guess we're talking about positive things. I we went back and forth. The story didn't work for me. I felt it dragged. I thought Maybe this movie was was up. fine. I, I that don't is really, what I thought it was. Yeah, I I didn't dislike it. Uh, it it could have been a little shorter. Um, it did what it tried to do well. It, but it wasn't a terribly important movie. I understand why it might have won in the year two thousand. It was sort of thinner year. I mean, Mission Impossible Two was the the big box office leader at the time, so that's certainly not going to win Best Picture. Um, what else did we have back then? That was. Uh, Grinch Stole Christmas and Castaway. Castaway maybe was a little bit more moving and interesting than this. I, I don't know, but yeah, win. this was fine. This, I'm fine with this winning in the year 2000. There's no no uh, snubs here, but I'm not, uh, you know. I, I think it won because Aaron it ticked many boxes, right? It's it's could be considered an action film, but it is a drama. It's a story of revenge. It's There's this protagonist who's just very appealing in, in a variety of ways. Uh and then, you know, you referred to the mustache twirling villain, but Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he's uh, young Joaquin Phoenix. Was this one of his first, like, notable roles, I think, probably? Um, he also was nominated for an Oscar. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think this movie offers a lot. It You could argue it's too long. Maybe the story drags, sure. But... Uh, I think it has political intrigue. It's got that element to it as well with the senators. And I don't know. I, th- I think there's something for everybody here. I think everything I'm, the movie did well, I've seen done better in others or I will. Like as action, Return of the King is about to pass it. As Romanness, I thought that Ben-Hur was better. As revenge stuff, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where to put I'm this because I don't, I don't dislike it. But I'm looking at our list here and... This left yeah, such a low we, impact on me. I'm I'm tempted to put it down in the bottom quarter because when we watched it, we, we decided we literally back in f- late. watched about it and forgot about it. We didn't even record an episode. Well, I think we watched it. And we're like, so we're gonna just like watch a Beautiful Mind and do a double episode because there's not much to say about this, right? Like that was the agreement in May. We just didn't watch a Beautiful Mind for six months. And yet, I couldn't summarize it in under 18 minutes. So, well, because it's I, too long. <laughs> it's too. And I'm looking at the. I was looking at the other nominated best pictures. You have Shock a Lot, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic. So, of course, Gladiator won because, like, the Academy didn't understand Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. It was bigger and more epic that was an than Aaron Brockovich. Film. Shout out it for was- that right like yeah. that and i also love traffic actually i i really thought that was a really well done i i remember right. liking it at the time maybe if i revisited it i wouldn't like it as much but anyway we'll find out i never saw traffic but if you're looking at that gladiator is the most traditional oscar film on that list and it's the longest so it must win so I'm looking at our list here, and I'm looking at movies like Man for All Seasons, West Side Story, Grand Hotel, Rocky, sure. Out of Africa. Does this belong amongst this group? Can I go like down below, like Platoon and An American in Paris, and mm. Going My Way? I think it's way. better than Going My Way. Going My Way is when we get into legit sure. bad movies. American in we Paris. We can go even between American and right okay, on the pl- line. I, maybe above American, American in Paris. Yeah, maybe between Platoon and American in Paris because because How Green Was My Valley at least had those Welsh tunes. It had more heart. 
Yeah, it's tough on this list because almost all of, you know, they're almost all good. But yeah, we get into bad movies starting in this final bit and it's above Wait, that. Wait, yeah. can we just back up? Kate, what did you just say about how green was my valley? Tess, it's bad. It's a bad movie. Okay, is. that's what I'm accustomed to hearing you say. And you yeah. just gave it like a couple of positives. Because um, you mock in, me for my love of that movie. Like, I'm, I'll mock I'm you till the day you die. But it has them Welsh tunes and I'm here for it. I can I can say positive. So, so if Gladiator bad, had more <laughs> song. It's, on the, it's at the bottom of the list. Okay. I'm being I'm offering I'm offering let's, let's honest, a beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. So <laughs> this is where things start to get personal. So Wait. <laughs> why? Okay, yes. It's what deeply personal. Well, this be- is the beginning of a three-part adventure, right? Because we have A Beautiful Mind in 2001, Chicago in 2002, and then Return of the King in 2003. Lord of the Rings was nominated all three years, but the Academy felt that regardless of the quality of the first two movies, they were going to wait and recognize the whole franchise in the third. And so we'll talk more about You're Return of the King. they decided that in 2001? Well, I'm saying they intentionally didn't give it full consideration because 20 years after the fact almost anyone you talk to will tell you the first lord of the rings movie was the best of the three Mm -hmm. and so here you have a beautiful mind losing to fellowship of the ring and i saw beautiful mind almost 20 years ago for the first time haven't seen it since watched it again now and i am incensed that it won (laughs) over fellowship of the ring um incense so that is that is going to heavily affect a lot of my commentary not just the way the movie was but but the fact that it should not be there so to me this is snub alert as we head into russell crowe's second back-to-back movie but kate you're a big fan of this one so why don't you take the summary this time i'm a huge i saw it first time when it came out in theaters i was in what middle school and owned my own copy of this movie and it has guided like how i view like i and it held up so yeah i'm happy to do a little summary All right, so this is a biographical pick about scientist John Nash, who has schizophrenia. So you're following John Nash as he enters. The scientist is a mathematician. Mathematician John Nash. Mathematician is science. Math is science. Um, It's all the same. Anyway, so he we we see him in grad school. The story is he's in STEM. Oh my god, I can't. And Jennifer Connelly is a woman in STEM. I like finally have a movie I could like summarize and you're just ruining all of it. I'm going to try to say women in STEM as much as I can. Go ahead. Oh, dear God in heaven. So we're following his journey throughout grad school and through his career. And as the movie progresses, he clearly is more and more unstable and has these people he talks to. And it is then revealed that he has schizophrenia. These are all hallucinations. And the way he is treated like his literal treatment you like are in the hallucinations with him for periods of time and then you also see his treatment of his mental illness and that's kind of i mean you you see his life in periodically from grad school till he gets his nobel prize and his relationship with hallucinations and schizophrenia at the end see i think you you did that a little too short so i think we need a a Oh, what, what happens in the God, middle, though? Like, what, what are these hallucinations? Does he see, like, pink elephants on parade? No. They're yeah, his, imagine his, I haven't college, seen it. His college roommate is a hallucination. His best friend, his college roommate. His college roommate has a niece. She's a hallucination. 
later as the hallucinations are untreated and get worse then he thinks that he's working for like some cia agency and has like some sort of chip in him that gets codes and works for the government and gets very elaborate and every time things just kind of level up for him until and at one point he like pushes a desk out a window or he's like dropping paperwork off in some like random person's mailbox every night and like thinking that he's getting chased and shot at and then christopher Plummer shows up Plummer surprise he's the psychiatrist <laughs> i forgot about him i love the christopher Plummer surprise I, yes we forgot that he was in the movie and then he shows he's, up um to treat the the mentally ill john nash yeah <sighs> he also what, at some point falls in love with shock therapy oh I, I didn't still love can't that. believe that he shows up in the middle of his lecture. Like, my goodness, just wait until it's over. Like, they chase right. him around. They could have just him at his office. That's true, but, but were you looking at the lecture? Like, uh, Nash was clearly confused. The audience was confused. It seemed like a, as good a time as any to just, you know. Time to chase. <laughs> to just get <laughs> Time him. to get punched Did in the face. Did they say in the movie why they even approach him in the first place? Is it because they've been they've been following him and the the box drops? Well, I from what I understand, I think Alicia, his wife, called after he came home. She's that a woman night. in STEM. After he came his home wife, that night, thinking a woman in he STEM, he got yeah. shot. She she called the school, and I think the school probably was observing weird things. So when she called, they were like, oh. Let's get Christopher Plummer. He will help us. It wasn't Plummer laid surprise. out. Plummer surprise. So um, let, let's talk about this movie then. This movie, I think, suffers a lot from Oscarisms, right? This is made sure. for Oscar wins. Yes. Bait all over the place. This is this is what when Imitation I think of this Game movie, tried to imitate. And I think of it had already been Bridge done. Bridge of like so, what are mind, those things? What what elements yeah. would you consider Oscar bait? Well, you've got you've got mentally ill lead, right? Played mm. by clearly not mentally ill uh, actor. Um, you you know far too sure. questionable, far too you... normal looking <laughs> to look. I I don't know what John Nash looks like, but I imagine he doesn't look like Russell Crowe movie star, right? So even he does with the, not. I looked up a picture earlier, even with no, bad no. haircut. I, it was just like, look, wh- who is this guy? Um, so he's being clearly Forrest Gump, not Forrest Gump. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is Raymond, not Raymond. Um, the, the the whole thing. To me, it's the catchphrases, though, right? These movies love to give these characters a line they say in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the movie. That's like their little bell ringer that ties us back and gets the whole thing. A, 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 what are a, they? A, what does he say? I didn't uh, notice. Well, the that. one that comes to mind off the top of my head is like mortified, stupefied, petrified by you right when they go to play that mm-hmm. goofy game um and there's a few others that that come up like three times that the thing with the pens like what are the odds that he gets showed the scene early on and then it happens at the end um and and that's a very you know screenplay ish when you can see so the, there are some motifs when you can see that the writers were doing like oh we got to do the thing to set the thing to make the when you can see the the code behind it because it's so obvious then it to me, that breaks the contract of what a movie is. Or isn't that exactly what mo- movies? I'm very all right. Like that's not unnatural, un unprecedented. I'm confused. There are some cliches in here as well. You know, it rains during very dramatic moments and so forth. Oh yeah. Um, but I what I realized uh, watching it again all these years later is how it suffers from. Uh, 
maybe I shouldn't use the word suffers, but uh, when I saw it the first time, it was riveting because I had no background or context on yes. this man and his story. Yes. And so it was surprising, you know, um, to learn that the, uh, the the spy element was all imagined. So that, that was really mm-hmm. cool. And that was very captivating at the time. But once you know that, you can't rewatch the movie and experience it even remotely the same way. No, not at all. On the rewatch, it does suffer. Yeah. But even I was saying it is the the roommate blends in, but the other stuff is so obviously fake that I I was wondering how audiences didn't know it was fake the whole time. And so I I would want to watch it as an adult back in 2001 to see if I felt the same way. Like, I think I I feel like I would have been in the theater saying this is a dream, right? This is fake, right? Were we supposed to feel that way or was it supposed to fool us? That's I guess that's the thing. I think this movie thought it was being more profound than it was. And it came across. I'll agree as, with that. It, it came across as very, like when Top Gun does it. Top Gun knows it's not being realistic, right? It knows <laughs> it's it's playing beats and doing archetypes and doing a shtick and and hitting a, a typical hero's journey formula. This is this I think was trying to be realistic and gritty, and it ended up feeling like people playing pretend. Sure, like I think Jennifer I, Connelly's a woman in STEM. Her makeup at the end, like it, hilarious. Anytime they have, you know. Act, young actors in in the wait wait the time out what what is it about I mean she's playing a real woman she's playing a real person what what do you mean you don't you don't believe that she's in STEM no I mean when she's at his Nobel Prize ceremony and she looks like a like an eighth grader playing the granny and Pippin okay I that do recall seeing it the first time thinking that her aged her aging makeup it was poorly done for sure and she definitely doesn't look like that in Top Gun. No, yeah, it was wrong. She actually aged much better. I think. I think it's we should pause. She decided for, not to pursue a career in STEM. And I think we should pause for for one second. Something else that did happen between seeing Gladiator and A Beautiful Mind, like you know, you guys had a kid. I started a business, but most importantly, is Dan saw Top Gun. Between <laughs> Kate also saw Top Gun, so she has also been profoundly moved, and it's going to severely impact all the remaining twenty-two episodes of the series. There is certainly a before and after situation like, like I here. Thought, I saw it like twice in theaters and once in your back porch, but you saw it how 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 many times? I've, I've seen it ten times. I saw it nine in theaters and once on my back porch, and I probably would be watching it right now because I haven't seen it in a month. If we hadn't decided to record, are you missing yeah. it? I, You're like, Francesco oh, Tom. Was, he was in to watch it tonight. Yeah. Oh man. But wow. actually, I'm glad you mentioned it because I'm going to get to reuse a Jennifer Connelly reference um, <laughs> later me. as no. we go through some of my cons. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, a con for me. If we're let's just go there. Why don't we? In reading some actual information about these people, John and Alicia Nash, watching this yeah. movie is painful now because it's it turns not out accurate. that they actually divorced in 1963 yeah, they back, they and then they remarried together. in 2001 which is yeah. you know a fascinating story what a journey yeah. that you know they took as a couple but the movie doesn't play it the way that way it's, it, it's not a it factual should. that's rich it's it's very frustrating to me because I think they are glossing over the massive, massive challenge of being in a relationship with a person who is so um, ha- has such severe mental illness. 
And, um, you know, they just skip a bunch of decades um, from the 60s to him getting the Nobel Prize and and indicating that they've been together that whole time. And he gives this beautiful speech, you know, saying that she is, you know, all my reasons. And it's, it's you know, a, a lovely tribute to his wife, but it indicates that they've been together and they're, you know, they've strengthened their, their marriage over the decades when in reality they were divorced for those decades. So it's like, I mean, it, it's lovely that they got back together, that they found each other again, but... um. Yeah, being married to somebody with that degree of illness is profoundly challenging. And I, I don't like that the movie just kind of like neglected that. And he has another child from another relationship, which I've done a little reading on. And of course, that was left out of the movie as well. So it's like, eh, I almost wish that these were just fictional characters, you know, <laughs> they could tell a compelling story with fictional characters, but they take these real people and and totally eliminate some of the more challenging parts of their lives and, and craft it into, you know, Oscar bait. But not only that, that stuff is totally drama worthy. And I would totally watch that. Like, <laughs> instead of just watching him, like, wander around and, like, learning how to teach classes in, in the college, like, I would have much rather seen him, like, get divorced and get back together and have a kid with another woman. Sign me up. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> this movie does suffer a lot from it happened in real life, so we have to do it that way isms, right? Like he doesn't actually do that much cool looking math stuff at the beginning. He doesn't actually ever seem very smart. And then he goes crazy really quickly. And then he stays that way the whole time. And only at the end of his life is he recognized. It's kind of a boring story, right? Uh, kind of but depressing. that's probably how it happened. But in the beginning, he, he does achieve something, you know, in... in in grad school that propels him to a position at MIT. And that is when he is brought into, is it the CIA? I'm not, I think so. Um, he so works he, for he does have some early success lab. that kind of puts him on a track to um, be called upon by, by the federal government to help crack codes and stuff. Well, that's, that leads me to my other complaint. This movie does a bad job of explaining complicated stuff in an easy to follow way. And instead just kind of waves your hands around and asks you to to wonder, right? I have no idea what his math stuff is. And it would probably be tough. Well, to let's talk about that. Sorry, I got to butt in. That, that particular scene where he has that eureka moment. Um, he's at the bar with his friends and, and he they're discussing like approaching some girls or some young women who are there. And, you know, that scene is... No, Pretty. that's a good scene. Okay. Is there more? Like, I, sure. If they'd done more of that, I, I probably would have liked it more. That, that That's a struggle, though, because the screenwriters aren't as smart as him. Mm. And they don't understand the concepts either. So how do you how do you write for a character that's smarter than you? And how do you make that understand to, to people that are dumber? And it's a tough it's a tough challenge, but this movie didn't do mm. it well. I've seen other movies that do it a little better. Um, so that, that was a, a setback for me. Hmm. Because you just take the, everybody says he's smart. You're just like, okay, well, if enough people are saying it, I guess he is, but I don't actually see it. And then at well, the end, they say, oh, your window. work has been so, your work has been so meaningful. And you're like, okay, cool. Uh, if you say so. All right. I, I believe that. Well, I, I'm just going to say this since we're talking about smartness and dumbness and everything. Josh Lucas, the teen dream, Josh Lucas, such a cutie. Mm -hmm. Kate, 
I'm Sweet Home Alabama. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, what a stud. Yeah. Okay. His Very handsome guy. His jawline. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe that he was at Princeton as a contemporary of John Nash. Is it wrong for why me to that? say that? I don't know. Why it was? Why I do just you wasn't not believe it. Adam Goldberg was there. <laughs> you just put your head down. Do you think hot men aren't don't do math? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Uh, Joey Lucas, you, Josh another Lucas. another woman in STEM <laughs> from West Wing. Yes, Joey Lucas. She was a statistician, right? Or uh, yeah, you know, she does math. She's hot too. But Kate, I think when you really think about it, what does this movie do well? What do I like about it? This movie is essentially a commercial for modern pharmaceuticals, right? And and both of my parents have been in the pharmacy profession. And this entire movie's plot hinges on the fact that pharmaceuticals weren't as good back then. Okay. And if they okay. had been, because he has these problems and he goes on his meds and the meds had such negative side effects, he goes off them. And that That's is the struggle for the rest of his life, is that the side effects are too bad. So the, it's a good thing the pharmaceutical companies continue to up their game and produce things with less side effects. I was really not seeing an advertisement for Big Pharma right now. Like, I just really wasn't seeing that coming. Well, isn't that the whole... <laughs> the, think about this. Jennifer Connelly's character, a woman in STEM. Lady. She is fine with the fact that he hallucinates, right? She's fine mm. with the fact that he doesn't care for their son. She doesn't care at all. But when he suddenly stops responding to her in bed, she is so incensed, just like in Top Gun, that she freaks oh, out and breaks the mirror. And it's the side God. effects. It's the side effects. It's not the actual. Mm. That That's what becomes the bigger problem. And so it becomes, well, we got to deal with this because the side effects are too bad. That was the that's the okay, so, turning point so of the movie. The, the, <laughs> I, the way the, I, the plot is structured I, that it that is the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay, yeah, it was his lack of having sex with hers. That's 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 what changed her tune. <laughs> I can't. That's I can't. when she had enough. She's like, "This is no good. You're going off these meds right now, and you're going to." She learn. did not tell him to you're, go off the meds. Well, he that's when chose he decided on he, his own and didn't he, tell him. She made him come to that decision on his own, right? And so suddenly oh, he's like, "I'll just ignore God. a little girl and a man and another man and be fine, right?" Because it's <laughs> played better. by Ed Harris. We haven't even mentioned that Ed Harris is in this movie, and Ed Harris did not age between then and Top Gun. I tell you what. <laughs> Look I hope at the difference between Ed Harris street. then and now and Russell Crowe in this and Thor 4, right? <laughs> more Very different. Thor. Thor 4, more Thor. Fights <laughs> gore. <laughs> I, I found his performance in Thor 4 delightful. Same. So silly, but very Loved entertaining. It. Not consistent, but like great. Big fan. <laughs> And he, he's he's back to his uh, little <laughs> Roman skirt. <laughs> yes. There's so many elements. Oh, my gosh. We should be talking about four Thor. Thor four, more Thor. Thor four versus Gore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Well, anywho, um, can I just say that James Horner made a lovely, lovely um, score for this this film. So I, I think the music yeah. in A Beautiful Mind is is lovely, and Charlotte mm-hmm. Church sings the uh, song in the credits, the end credits. Remember Love Charlotte it? Church? I do. James Horner, more like James Scorner, writing that score. Good for him. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I I think we're good. I think we really we could we could put a pin in this. You Where know, can I just it? say there's something appealing about <laughs> there is something appealing to me personally. These movies that take place on Ivy League campuses, whether it's the social network or a beautiful mind or chariots of fire about like the quad <laughs> on an Ivy League campus that is just so captivating i don't know I'm, t- I'm not i'm not against it see social network's a movie that doesn't actually explain the code but it, it, it lets you understand what smart people are doing right and their problems without just... that was a better version of this that i think took <laughs> okay. that that took Mark this Zuckerberg and... doesn't have schizophrenia that we know of the other thing too i think in these movies you don't need to tell the whole life story of a person right you can you can pick no. a, a, a week right and you can can and you can make the narrative in I, that context and that's what i would like to see right take take one week of his time just before his breakdown and and tell his life story that way i, I would have enjoyed that more i would like a film made about one week of my life i think that would be fun no that that's fair because i think trying to to get from his his graduate days at Princeton to Nobel Prize they they had to just gloss over so much in a way that you know I've already critiqued that like yeah yeah and then you end up with you know Paul Giamatti as John Adams dying for the final half of the miniseries right like Ugh. just just end it after your president <laughs> you jumped like so fast not your <laughs> life like just the, the miniseries we're in a baby different has awakened. Now, now we're oh there, there she is. She's smiling. That's because she didn't have to watch. <laughs> Beautiful mind. Well, Kate, what? Wow. Uh, where should we rank this? Well, Dan, I don't know anymore. It seems like it wasn't. Was it better or worse than Cimarron? Like, <laughs> no, no. I think we're putting this down below Gladiator. I'd put this below American in Paris. No, no. Oh wait, you. I did you, not like. I liked it more than Gladiator for sure. You can oh, put wait, it above for, Gladiator. This movie was important to my life. I can't, I can't. To you. Okay. Yeah. I forgot you liked it as a child. Yeah. Okay. And I enjoyed rewatching it. I was, I was carried along in the story. I was never bored. I barely looked at my phone. I was carried along. Like that means something. Well, I will put it below Rocky above out of Africa. Out of Africa was boring. That's fine. Yeah. I had a farm in Africa. I I still think this, Um, I think we are raking this way too high, but we have to make some compromises. A baby. All right. Here she is. All right. So we're going to wrap up quickly. What what is probably the best thing that came out of this movie is that Jennifer Connelly and Paul Bettany got married. (laughs) That is exciting. And he plays Candace Vision, a character that's a robot made out of science, technology, engineering, and math. So once again, oh, her relationship with STEM continues. All right. I can't. So what do we have to watch next time, Dan? Next up, we continue our early 2000s run with a, a movie that I don't know if it's good, but I know it's fun. It's 2002's Top Chicago. Gun? 
Ooh, oh Chicago. yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh so yes. I think whether or not we rank that highly or not, I think we'll have a good time. No more, uh, no more mental illness or revenge quests or um, grocery bags dancing in the wind. Song. There's an entire song about revenge quests. Yeah, that's but in a fun way, right? Like there's a whole song about it. Yes, we both like it's all. That that song is about a fib. Yeah, that's a lie. We get to see Mr. Cellophane. It's going to be great. We'll see when this happens. We could make our next episode next week. We could we could be a year from now. And yes, we might finally get our Top Gun episode in. Thankfully, we don't have to watch that one again. But maybe we should. I think we should. I think we should. I could watch Top Gun every day. I tell you what. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us this wait. time. I won't say this week on Cinema Cemetery. I'm Dan. I'm Kate. I'm Teresa. <laughs> this is a baby. That was Flannery making a sound, and we'll see you next time. I'll go my own way